Thank you for joining us for another episode of CryptoCurrent. Just one quick reminder. CryptoCurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the CryptoCurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Richard, the team, and their guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow his financial advice. This show and any other CryptoCurrent production is exclusively for informational purposes. For Cryptocurrent, I'm Stephen Miller, and you're watching The Aftershock, the show where we bring you the latest and greatest from the wild world of Web3. As always on this show, I am joined by my co-host, fresh off of the USA Today program. This is Richard Carthon. Richard, how are we doing? Doing good, man. Um, looks like crypto's trying to make a way back, right? We're, we're seeing some, some bullish movement, um, which is odd with all of the... Uh, War things going on in the world. I'll just leave leave it at that. You know, war and everything else going on. But we're we're really starting to see things start to chug along. So if this is how February is ending, and as we look at March, where things are kind of taken off at the beginning of this, like ah, you know, kind of kind of uh, giving me some hope. What about you? It's giving me a good vibe. Um, I like the fact that I'm seeing Bitcoin up across forty three three as of about. 10 minutes ago when we're recording this. So it is going to be a really interesting month ahead. So for those of you that are joining us today, I hope that you will come back and join us for an additional other set of episodes that we'll give you throughout this month. That will include our interview series that we drop every Monday and Friday, but also additional Aftershock news segments every Wednesday. So please do me a solid, hit that subscribe button, make sure that you like the content, and also hop into the comments. We'd really appreciate your feedback on what we're doing here. But we got a jam-packed show today. We don't want to stick around for too long. So I want to go ahead and preface that this episode is going to be, well, overloaded with news, but also a bit triggering. So we're going to be talking a little bit about what's been going on in terms of the global conflict between Ukraine and Russia. But we're also going to be breaking down some of the bigger news stories that are affecting Web3 in the past week. So... In order to do that, we always go with our first news segment, which is buy, sell, or hodl. Buy, sell, or hodl. So in this news segment, buy, sell, or hodl, we take you through a lightning round of news stories and just catch up on the headlines. And we'll let you know which ones we think really stand out from the lot. This week on the lightning round, the first story we have is... We had the Secret Service announce a crypto awareness hub that they're planning on launching to make sure that people are more aware of the security risks associated with crypto, but also how to protect themselves if they decide to partake in it. Um, Rich, why don't you tell us a little bit about El Salvador? So El Salvador is uh, offering uh, crypto citizenships. So in the same way that you could 
go about uh, other countries and have uh, you know set up your companies and et cetera and get your citizenships. El Salvador is trying to set up the same. Uh, El Salvador is trying to do the same for crypto citizenship. So I think it's pretty interesting. Uh, be on the lookout to see how many people start to flock in that direction. Don't be surprised if you start seeing this be a very common narrative throughout the rest of the year. I think a lot of nations are going to start piggybacking on that. Um, another interesting story comes in the form of DM, which of course is Facebook's former cryptocurrency. They came to the project um, because they were getting a lot of pushback from Congress. Well, the team behind DM, which we spoke about on a prior episode of the Aftershock, had branched off. They have since renamed themselves and rebranded to Aptos and also raised $200 million to launch DM as an open blockchain. Really interesting development. I hope that it gets picked up. I'm sure it's going to get integrated into Meta's platform as soon as it's truly live. But time will tell. Let's jump into this next story. Next, we have the Opera browser is integrating uh, Diversify's L2 Exchange. This is cool because it's basically saying right in your browser, you can start to delve into DeFi. Uh, I think it's uh, the beginning of which you'll start to see a lot of other browsers begin to do. Um, and I think it's a pretty cool, exciting development. Yeah, I'm a really big fan of this. I think that getting a Web3 browser up that's got decent adoption is one of the biggest barriers. You have Opera and you have Brave. I think Brave probably still has the edge, but I like to see that there's competition in it. Our next story comes from 1Password. So that's one of the competitors in the password management game alongside LastPass. And I believe 1Pass is another one that you can use. But 1Password is differentiating themselves because they have officially added one-click storage for phantom wallet credentials and seed phrases. On the surface, if you've ever managed seed phrases, this might seem like a good thing until you realize that your seed phrase is being managed online. Rich, tell me a little bit about that because I personally know it's not the right thing to do. <laughs> so I'm a huge fan of uh, OnePass, uh, but having a way that basically... If someone's able to hack your major password and now they have access to the kingdom by having your seed phrase, they can go and take all your stuff. So on its surface, like it's, it's as long as you're keeping that one password really secure and feel really good about it, it, it in theory, it sounds great. But uh, they get past that first wall of defense. They got gotcha. you. It's just about removing attack vectors. You're providing an attack vector if you go through with you know just storing your seed phrases in one pass. So to me, I think that's a mistake. But the next story is something I've been waiting for for a really long time. So I'm really excited to share. Coinbase has officially added self-custody support for Ledger hardware wallets. This is huge, Rich. Tell us a little bit about why. The fact that you're going to be able to self-custody with Ledger means that you can start doing your cold storage. You actually, you actually are holding your crypto. You you are legitimately holding it as opposed to having it be on exchange that being a hot wallet where you're still susceptible to potential hacks and whatnot by supporting the self-custody. Now you become the bank. Now you became, become the true owner of your crypto. So it's just another layer of security that you can provide for yourself using Coinbase. This is huge. Yep. As I've come to understand it, um, Coinbase is going to allow you to trade directly from your ledger wallet in their software. So this is actually a humongous step for them. They've also just recently announced their own advanced trading portal, which is probably going to make Coinbase Pro obsolete here in the near future. So exciting new trading tools coming from them. Also exciting new self-custody support as well. 
The next story we have comes to us from Rakuten. And normally, Rich, this would be in our metaverse section, which we're going to get into next. But because they're such a big corporate entity, we wanted to touch on it now. And that is because they launched their own NFT trading platform to basically continue to compete with the rest of um, the bigger online retailers who are going to start offering NFT sales in the near future. So pretty interesting stuff there. Um, but we also have an interesting story from OpenSea. Why don't you tell us about that a little bit? So OpenSea reaches 1 million Polygon wallets in use. So uh, OpenSea originally launched on the Ethereum blockchain, and now they've moved over to um, Polygon wallets. Why? It's cheaper, and it's uh, a much easier way to onboard newer users because it's more uh, cost-effective. And it's just cool to see how quickly they were able to get 1 million worth of Polygon wallets on their platform. Yep. Now, this is bullish for both OpenSea and Polygon, but I want to add a dose of realism to this. When you look at that number for 1 million Polygon wallets in use, the number that of Ethereum wallets that are currently held on OpenSea, I believe, is something to the tune of 15 million. And that is like an insane disparity between the number of wallets that are on the Ethereum network transacting in Ethereum NFTs versus on the Polygon network transacting with Polygon NFTs. That then gets multiplied further when you look at the disparity in terms of pricing and value of those NFTs. So Polygon NFTs are naturally going to be cheaper versus the premium that an Ethereum NFT carries. So if you're an investor, you need to kind of consider both of those sides. There's trade-offs there. Our final piece of news in the lightning round today is a big one. eBay has announced that they are going to be launching support for crypto payments effective March 10th. This comes from their CEO who basically tipped um, his cap a little bit too much and spilled the beans that they have an event coming up on March 10th, which I believe is an investors meeting where they're planning on making the formal announcement, but this leaked just before it. Um, with that said, Rich, there is actually one thing I need to do, and that is, of course, break a little bit of news that didn't make it into our deck this week. Just across the wire, um, we are recording this on Monday. XRP and the SEC have officially gotten to the point where um, the official discovery phase has concluded. This means no further evidence can be injected into the discussion. Um, it is now going to go into a phase of attempting summary judgment and overturning a couple of final motions. So this is a really big step. And hopefully more info will be out on this and we can update you more throughout the week. But everything is shaping up that it looks like XRP is probably going to end up winning this case or settling sometime between now and the end of the year. So pretty exciting stuff there. But let's jump into the metaverse, shall we? Let's do it. Last week in the metaverse, there was a lot of really big news. The first piece happened to be a little bit of a rumor. Now, again, we love to break alpha on this channel. We want to make sure that we're giving you some of the insider tips that we've been getting. Right now, the big rumor that we've been getting is that Coinbase NFT is set to launch by the end of March. That is huge because there's so much more liquidity that is going to be able to flow into NFTs through Coinbase. It becomes so much easier and so much, low, so much reduced risk to trading NFTs if you can do it on Coinbase. So I think that's a huge deal. And I think that it's going to see a ton of trading volume in the world of NFTs here shortly. What do we have next? 
Next, we have Warner Music Group partnering with Splinterlands. So the fact that Warner Music Group, large American music group, a lot of big money behind them is partnering to start to get into the NFT space and they've chosen Splinterlands, probably a project to be looking out for. So, I mean, that's pretty significant that their first play into the NFT space is directly with a partner. WMG is a massive label, so definitely not something to just gloss over there. Um, The next piece of news comes from Puma. Now, not really sure how we got this graphic because that has to do with Artifact and Nike, but (laughs) the news here has to do with the shoe company, which I guess is how we got to Nike, um, Puma, who is basically in the last couple of weeks decided to get a little bit ambitious and join the NFT game buying Puma.eth, and then going on to purchase a number of holdings in top cat projects like Lazy Lions, Cat Blocks, um, Cool Cats, and they even got their hands on a cat body um, or base um, Illuminati NFT piece. So for those that are in the Illuminati NFT group, that's a big win for them as well. Next piece comes, this is actually a really interesting one to me, Rich, and I think that you and I were on a call when it happened. Um, The Invisible Friends Project had their official launch, and you were able to mint this for 0.25 Ethereum. And within a matter of moments, it hit OpenSea, and the floor was about 15 Ethereum. That is typically referred to as a vampire attack, because most of the time it pulls all the liquidity, liquidity in the market away from other projects. and then. Like all that liquidity is basically being used to purchase invisible friends or the project that is in the public eye at, the, at that given moment. The price on this right. has since come down. Um, I believe it is trading around seven right now, but that's still a pretty substantial gain, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's incredible. The what a, a good ten x would be two point five. So then you put to what twenty x? So let's call it like close to thirty uh, x, just in a matter of moments. Yeah, just and again for for people that are new into this space, imagine you put in a hundred dollars, and then within legitimate minutes, it's now worth what three hundred or, th- or three thousand, just like that. It's insane. And again, the volume is still continuing for Invisible Friends. There's a lot of interest in the project. The artwork is fantastic. It's an animated piece, so a lot of people are into it. Um, but because of this vampire tag and so much liquidity was pulled away from other projects the floors on those projects are starting to drop. So there's a lot of really good buying opportunities out there right now in the NFT world. Um, I would strongly recommend that you look into that a little bit more. But last week, we talked a little bit about the Sotheby's auction of a number of CryptoPunks. I believe it was over 103 CryptoPunks were set to be auctioned. And the owner of those CryptoPunks was an anonymous individual. He decided to pull the auction offline. He called it off. Why? Because Sotheby's fees was absolutely outrageous and he was not willing to sell them because he thought that he was going to get gypped at the end of the day. So rough stuff there. Uh, But let's move into something really crazy. Tell me about this one. So Meta demos prototype app for description to Metaverse world creation. And again, I'm going to say this again. Description to Metaverse world creation. You literally type in a description and said Metaverse will be created. That is some next level stuff right there. 
look, I do not know how viable this is going to be in the long run, right? Like this is one of those things. It's a pie in the sky platform. It's a pie in the sky application. It is AI based because it has to be. But good Lord, like that's going to allow so many more people that don't necessarily have the development skills or the creative skills from an artistic standpoint to be able to create their own metaverse worlds. And I'm assuming this also goes on to metaverse um, property, right? So it's really interesting to see this happening. I think it's pretty um, big for the space at large. It's showing a new take on how to create a metaverse. Our next story comes from the NBA of all places. Um, I believe that he is the point guard for the Sacramento Kings. His name is De'Aaron Fox has officially ended his silence on his $1.5 million NFT rug pull. Now, just for context, Rich, what is a rug pull? A rug pull is when a company, person, etc., create a project and try to get enough people to buy it and provide liquidity. And then the original people who started it, whether it's the um, owners or the creators, etc., take all their liquidity out and immediately take all the profit. So. Uh, essentially, these people went and invested into his NFT, and he then took all of that liquidity and jumped out. So, in this case, he left. He pulled the 1.5 and went back to basketball. But the problem is that with his NFT swipe of the fox, um, he had made all these promises and a roadmap to all the people that invested that 1.5 million, and he decided that the reason was it was ill-timed. So he's going to go back and focus on basketball until the offseason and leave his community completely in limbo. Um, there were some additional claims like he was going to make good on his promise with like signed jerseys and stuff. But all in all, this is the shady type of behavior and the reason why a lot of the celebrity NFT drops as of late have gotten a really, really bad rap because none of them are staying in it. It's a lot of the same thing over and over and over again. So I have a feeling that um, because he was doxxed, you know, he's a well-known figure. He's probably going to get his ass sued off for this. Um, I would be very, very surprised if he didn't. So an interesting story here. Do you think there's any other takeaways that we should be sharing? Yes, be careful with, um, just like you said, be careful with the celebrity NFT drops. Although there are some that are making these cool like roadmaps and everything else, you got to do as much research and background on them as possible to make sure that what they're trying to do is viable and the timing of things. Like this dude's in season right now. It's going to be really hard for him to pull this off unless he has a full-fledged team behind him doing all the work while he's out focusing on his career. So again, just do as much research as you can, but also try to use some common sense in there too. Because unfortunately, some of these celebrities who have no idea about crypto or NFTs are, are in it for the quick buck and not for their fans. They're not in it for... to really provide that value back. So uh, be careful. Our next story comes from the Solana ecosystem. And you've probably heard of OpenSea. Well, the Solana ecosystem for their NFT marketplace, they have a place called Magic Eden. Magic Eden has decided to take a progressive stance on the projects that they allow to list on their platform, now instituting a requirement that all project teams are doxxed. This is such an enormous move. And I think it's actually going to end up setting a precedent for the rest of the space. A lot of these teams that have you know, really wanted to stick to their guns about their anonymity and keeping their, their Web2 identities out of it so that they can defend their family, protect you know, other reputations, 
at the end of the day, I think it's an excuse now because so many teams have 100% committed to doxing themselves and putting their own reputations on these projects. They're a lot less likely to rug pull you unless you're De'Aaron Fox. And ultimately, that standard needs to be set because a lot more of these rug pulls are happening behind teams that are anonymous. So I think this is a move in the right direction. Um, and I'm very, very impressed that we're seeing that happen on the Solana blockchain. Our final story, Rich, I want you to tell us about it because I think it's really insane. So New York vending machines are starting to sell Solana NFTs. And yes, you heard that right. You can go to NF, you can go into a vending machine in specific locations in New York City, put in money, and get a Solana NFT. It just seems like a joke. Like I, <laughs> I, I mean, I can't. Right? I mean, it's one thing to go buy cryptocurrency at a crypto ATM. You're telling me that like I can go to an ATM and buy an, an NFT. It it just it's, it's wild. It, it feels weird. It feels like the gumball machines that you probably saw at the mall when you were a kid, right? That's <laughs> that's kind of how I feel about it. But what's water is that it's probably eventually going to be the norm, right? When when crypto ATMs first came out, they were like, "This is weird. Why would I do this?" And now they're everywhere. Uh, I I could see this easily taking over. Look, hopefully this trend catches on and we start seeing it in cities across the US and across the world. But for now, we're going to be leaving it at that. So if you enjoyed our weekly news segment where we catch you up on a lightning round around Web3 and then take you a little bit deeper into the metaverse, give this video a like. Let us know by getting at us on Twitter. You have our handles up above. Or you can, of course, follow me and Rich at Steve Miller underscore PHX and at Richard Carthon on Twitter. Next, we're getting into our big story of the week. That, of course, is the aftershock. The aftershock. So, the aftershock is our big narrative across the last week. What one big thing took the crypto world by storm and has shaken the leaves off the tree, so to speak? And in this week's aftershock segment, we need to issue a very firm trigger warning. Rich, I want you to take this. Give us a little bit of an understanding as to why we're giving this warning. So the following segment is going to discuss ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine. We are not going to include any financial advice. We're not going to invoke any inflammatory political opinions. This is not meant to be a political conversation. Um, what we are going to cover is going to just bring in verified facts, and then we're going to explain the implications for Web3. So the implications of how crypto is entering the equation of war right now. And that's where we're going to kind of leave things. So the big takeaway here, guys, is that we do not want anybody who is close to this situation to feel like we are taking sides. That is not our place. It is our place to educate and connect the dots for you so that you can understand how this is entering the greater narrative, how crypto is responding to a global crisis, right? So let's dive in and talk a little bit about what really are the financial consequences of war. Right. So I believe it was last week, Russia officially had invaded Ukraine. Within an, a matter of hours, it seemed like all chaos had broken loose. People, like the news had completely lost control of the narrative. And a lot of people were panicking. Those people in Ukraine, in particular, 
were rushing into the banks trying to pull their their funds, their hard-earned fiat. But because the country was just in absolute chaos at the time, their central bank froze all e-money transfers. This means that their national currency could not move out of the banking system unless it was for something like a purchase. So in a lot of cases, Ukrainians started turning to Bitcoin and USDT as their only means of actually pulling their wealth out of a bank by making a purchase of crypto so that they could then make their way out of the country if they so choose or to just simply protect their assets. Um, so an interesting take there, but that's just one side of the coin. Rich, tell me a little bit about what happened in Russia. So the most recent thing that's happened in Russia is that Russia's stock exchange closed and it triggered a run on the banks. And unfortunately, one of the things with all of the sanctions that have started to come in place from the EU, NATO, and US sanction, uh, the Russian rubble dropped 20% uh, pretty sharply. Um, so for all of those, no matter where you are in the world right now, imagine 20% of your wealth disappearing in a matter of minutes. So it's a gut punch. So even more so, like that's your buying power for goods, right? And I think a lot of us here in the United States can attest to this very clearly. We've seen this happen across the last year. But counter to the ruble dropping 20%, the US dollar actually went up quite significantly. So the buying power of the dollar is actually up on all of these sanctions and all of the chaos. I think that's only because it's still the reserve currency of the world. That becomes more valuable when we're in chaos and when we're in a global crisis. It's unfortunate that it has to be that way. But I think that right now, because both sides are completely destabilized, you are seeing a walking case study for why crypto is necessary, why it is absolutely needed for individuals, whether they're trying to go from one place or like one spot on the globe to the other, they need it so that they can keep their currency self-sovereign. They don't need to depend on any one given government. Um, so it initially went, the price of crypto went down initially because there was so much uncertainty in the world. But as things have developed and more Russian citizens and more Ukrainian citizens have determined they need crypto to store their wealth and store you know, the money that they've earned, it's starting to go back up. That's why we're at 43.3 today. So it's interesting to see how all of these things work out. But next, we have to really be willing to take apart what is next. Where are we going next with all this? And before we do that, we actually have another piece of breaking news to share. Breaking news. If you thought it was going to get better before we evaluated everything, there is another development. And that is, of course, that crypto exchanges have been asked to block Russian IP addresses. This means that anybody that is a Russian citizen or is simply operating with an IP address based in Russia will not be able to trade on crypto exchanges if certain exchanges do comply with these governmental requests. Now, that is completely counter to where crypto comes from. And I believe Jesse Powell already made a comment about that. He's the head of Kraken saying that like cryptocurrency is meant to not be affected by government. Government is not supposed to be able to intervene in it. 
So it's going to be interesting to see whether or not we see compliance of these exchanges. What do you think about it? It's a hard call, right? So just like you said, the the purpose of cryptocurrency, aka Bitcoin, when it was first created, was to give power back to the people to be decentralized, to not be owned by one central entity. And so that any one person could be responsible and have a means to bring value around wherever they want as long as they had it stored locally with themselves because they essentially become the bank. By trying to in around it by basically saying like, okay, that's fine if you want to own this cryptocurrency, this this thing that is that is decentralized for you to off-ramp, for you to then take the value of that decentralized currency to a centralized currency, we can shut that down. And so in merit, that's a part that is going to be interesting to see how these exchanges react and actually might cause some innovation to potentially make a decentralized off-ramping tool. Um, I don't know that one exists quite yet, but currently, even no matter how you get into the crypto space, you have to go through, from, through some sort of centralized entity to off-ramp from crypto back to a native currency. So I am curious to see how this plays out. Yeah, there's a lot of impact that it can have. And at the same time, there's not a lot of impact it can have if there's no compliance. So we're just going to have to see how this one develops but let's again get into where we are to go from here because a lot has already happened and this is an ongoing situation. It's developing hourly. So at this immediate moment, we we're informed earlier um, in the day on Monday um, that Russia and Ukraine were to begin ceasefire negotiations um, on the border of Poland and Belarus. It's interesting that this is happening right now. It seems very early for it to be happening given that you know, demands of both sides. But hopefully we start to see some progress. The big thing in my opinion is this. Across the last 48 to 30 to 70, wait, can't count, 48 to 72 hours, President Zelensky from Ukraine has signed off on an EU membership application. So essentially petitioning the EU for Ukraine to be officially a member of its, um, a member country and its body. This is something that Russia does not want, okay? It's one of the biggest reasons I think that Russia ultimately went into Ukraine in the first place, but there's a lot of mixed narratives there. Fortunately, and this is again another developing piece right now, France's prime minister on Monday has announced that after an hour and a half conversation with Vladimir Putin, that they will officially stop strikes on, and that's airstrikes, of course, on civilian targets. So a really big win if this ends up holding true and Putin stays good to his word. Um, But again, there's a lot of time for this to develop. This is where I want to get really granular with you, Rich. So talk to me a little bit about this development because this happened just a couple hours ago from when we're recording this. So as of the moment of this recording, um, Bitcoin's market cap surpassed the Russian ruble. Now, that means that the entire market capitalization, how much money is being poured into Bitcoin, surpassed the entire basically Russian market economy. That is wild. That is like it took 
20 to 12 years, 12 years from, from something that's brand new started to becoming larger than a superpower in the world. That's, it's, it's just, it's mind blowing. But again, we, I don't really think that we can call it that yet. And it's only because the value of the ruble like just went off of a cliff when these sanctions poured in, right? So I'm not sure, like, while yes, this is a headline and it's worth discussing, we have to understand that Russia is still a superpower, okay? They're one of the world's largest economies. You cannot argue with that. But that economy has taken like a 55 to 60% hit across the last week and a half because of all the sanctions. So if that's the case, and that's what pulls it back to Bitcoin's uh, market cap in terms of like the true value of every single ruble in circulation. I mean, yes, it's a moment in history where we're truly going to be able to see that like a shift is occurring, especially because so many people inside Russia right now are trying to get their hands on Bitcoin because they know the government can pull back on their bank account at any moment. Right. And I want to stay there just for a second. And what's what's amazing about this moment, um, last week I was reading that basically if you look at Bitcoin and how it's been touted as digital gold, as you look at it similarly to the regular US stock market, it's been interacting and acting more as um, a stock, um, as, a, as a stock fund and, and kind of correlating in that direction. However, what we're now starting to see with war and everything else that's going on that with something like this, the market caps are passing the Russian ruble. It is starting to act as a hedge against the dollar. Now, not just the US dollar, but a local currency. It is a hedge against potential downward side. And so like that argument actually is really starting to be presented in this way and is kind of holding up in this present moment. So it's, it's a very interesting case study that we're living in real time and very unfortunate. But like, again, the argument is being made that Bitcoin is truly becoming a hedge for people in other countries. Yeah. And I think that it is important in that way. But I think that we need to acknowledge that until there's a true decoupling of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies from major financial markets, it's always going to run to a degree in tandem. So if there is any one really clear example of this happening, it's what I was talking about earlier with how the dollar is shot up in terms of its value almost counter to the inflation that we've had to essentially, you know, say we've had a 20% gain in our in our um, buying power with the US dollar right now. Well, we saw the price of Bitcoin go up 10% in the last like day and a half. So these things are still moving in tandem. It's just important to understand that we're not at the point where you know the price of Bitcoin is going to move on its own. It's not going to be a total traditional hedge. But it is an alternative hedge. It's something that everybody needs to truly have a little bit of. Um, it's a really important asset class to actually have exposure to, whether that's a little bit in just a couple, you know, couple thousand Satoshis or working your way up to having 0.1 Bitcoin or 0.2 Bitcoin. It's a process. It's a dollar cost average game. 
but you have to be aware of what is going on in the world to understand the importance of it. So as we've said, this situation in um, Ukraine and in Russia is ongoing and developing hourly, but it's also not just happening in Ukraine, okay? This is something that you are not going to hear a lot of other people talk about. And yes, it is controversial. I'm not politicizing it. I'm not trying to say stuff that is going over the top. But other world powers are looking at the situation and, and asking themselves, okay, how can I take advantage of this and make it an opportunity? Right? I'm not going to yeah. say specifically where it's happening, but there are other countries that are looking to make power plays get their own resources. So if you think that the flood of people leaving Ukraine is a very big deal and you think the refugee crisis that is going to ensue from it is going to be a very big deal, understand that it's not the only place this is going to be happening. So it's extremely under, it's extremely important to understand that Bitcoin is going to continue to become this really powerful tool for these people as they flee because they can't just carry gold they can't just strap a bunch of bills to their body and try to make their way out. That's not the way it works because you have border crossings and guards that will confiscate that stuff. Bitcoin is something that you can keep discreetly on your person in the form of a private key, in the form of a ledger wallet, that type of stuff. So when we talk about where refugees can ultimately turn to in this time, that also can be a really tough conversation to have. But Richard, when you look at people leaving Ukraine, where do you think the best opportunity is for those individuals to turn to in terms of crypto-friendly nations? Well, for staying on that side of the globe, I think one of the first places that come to mind is Malta. Malta is extremely crypto-friendly. They've been crypto-friendly for years. Um, right off the coast of Greece, not necessarily a bad place to, to go and explore, um, especially if you're just trying to be around crypto-friendly uh, environments. Uh, the rest are going to be kind of a stretch a little bit further. I mean, yeah, El Salvador is trying to be a lot more open uh, with this. But as you start to travel in or like travel that far, it's going to be interesting to see like how you can line up either flights or et cetera, just to or even be liquid enough to do that. Or even yeah, resources. resources, you know? And yeah. I, and I, I get that as well. Um, the, the next closest one that, you know, would be closer than El Salvador, but not nearly as close as Malta would be Portugal. Portugal has a really great um, crypto economy there. They're a very crypto friendly state. But if you're willing to not go that far and you're willing to go up into the Baltics, Estonia is a really good option. Latvia is another really good option. But there is still a looming risk of like, okay, what is this conflict ultimately going to grow into? Does it stretch beyond Ukraine? Right? I'm not going to speculate on whether or not that happens. But if it does stretch beyond, there are only a handful of nations that border Ukraine. Just think about that. You want to get away from the conflict. You want to move into a place where you can at least feel safe. Those are kind of your options right now. But as we, 
I guess, come to a close on this. What does this all mean for Web3 in your opinion? As we start to get to a more connected world, uh, I mean, this is the first war in modern age where it's everywhere. It's on your social media. It's on your TV. It's it, You can't really escape it. So as we look at Web3 and what's to come of it, I think that people are going to start looking for ways that they can protect their assets, that they have a contingency plan that if they have to leave and be safe with their family, how they can securely do that. And they're also going to try to find resources for how you can still operate, right? Well, I mean, just to bring up for a quick second, internet was shut down and then immediately Starlink was launched to re-bring internet back, right? And even thinking about as it relates to the cryptocurrency, banking institutions, et cetera, most of it is electronic. But if you have cold storage, even if the internet's down, you eventually can find a place to where you get internet back. Now, at least you have that asset with you on your person. So I think that Web3 is going to continue to be the future, but I think it's also going to be observed from a lens of how can people continue to protect their assets. My closing thought on it will be this. Just because we want to live in a digital space and we want to embrace a more digital world does not mean the conflicts of real life are escapable into said world. If you go into that digital world, and of course, you know, it's not fully developed yet, but if you are going in via VR to someplace like Wilder World, essentially under the sandbox, and you're participating in that digital landscape, you're not going to be able to escape the narrative. You're not going to be able to, you know, just say, la, 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 la. I'm not able to see or hear this right now because people in that space are going to be talking about it because they know that it's a global issue. So keep your mind open, always be learning. And for God's sake, don't exclusively be mining fiat. You should be doing your best to stay self-sovereign in your wealth. Take control of your own narrative. Whether you are in a safe nation or you're in a place that is currently you know, experiencing a degree of tumult, it's all really important. But as we wrap up this more somber episode of the Aftershock... I want to make sure that I'm taking a second to be not only grateful that you're here, but also just appreciative of the fact that you're taking the time out of your day to learn something new. We all need to be doing that. So Rich, there's a lot of great content that we're putting out this week that is already out even. You can, of course, go up to crypto-current.co to find all of that. But why don't you tell me a little bit about the folks that you interviewed this week and um Let's start with who you had on the show on Monday. So Monday, we had Tony Chan, and he was talking about structuring innovative DeFi collateralized lending products on Pledger.Finance, uh, going from the collateralized lending platform. So essentially, if you want to borrow $100, you basically have to put up $200 worth of Bitcoin. So what's great about this is you're not having to liquidate your Bitcoin. You can put it up. You can then use that money to do whatever you need, pay off uh, the the lending institution, because again, you're using collateralized loan. Collateralized just means you have collateral to then get money back. Um, and it's a really cool way that he broke it down. So if, if you're into learning more about collateralized lending, 
really cool interview to go check out. Um, and then this upcoming Friday, we have Party Shirt, um, and they are creating their NFT project called Superstars. So Party Shirt is a uh, TikTok viral sensation uh, that has, um, I believe, uh, 12, 10 million plus, I think like 12 million um, followers right now. And they are trying to create an NFT project that not only gives more access to them, but also will allow for like incubation. I think they're going to give away a, a bus. They're going to give away a bunch of other things. It's They have a really, really great roadmap in place. And they really, we had a thorough conversation about what we talked today, which is the importance of not only just creating a good roadmap, but actually putting things in place to execute on that roadmap and having this be a longer term project instead of a quick uh, quick flip, quick mint, et cetera. So uh, two really cool projects. Hope you go check them out and hope you enjoy. Awesome. And of course, we also have our Crypto Basics episodes um, that have become Crypto Decrypted. So if you were enjoying those basics videos with Chris K, you can of course now join him for Crypto Decrypted where he'll be unpacking and simplifying specific topics across crypto so that you can understand them a little bit better. But again, we are CryptoCurrent. We are here to be your connection to the wild world of Web3 and help you understand not only what's going on in it, but connect you with the thought leaders that are shaping its future. Do us a favor, make sure you're subscribed, hit that like button to help us bypass the YouTube algorithm. And until next time, we will stay CryptoCurrent and we hope you will too.